0: Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thun. Kuno, Tuesday, March 15th, 1966. The orphanage sat on a low hill in the fertile lands outside Erfurt, in the basin north of the Great Thuringian woods. It was stone, and it was damp, and it offered little hope to its residents. The nurses and staff went far beyond the duties the state prescribed them. They shorted their own meals, stayed up late, mending the blankets that fended off the cold night winds, One nurse had become adept at the stubs of used candles and melting it down at home to make new ones. None of this could make the orphanage anything like comfortable, and the children under its roof could not even comprehend the self-sacrifice of their caretakers. They were not saints in demeanour, these men and women. They were temperamental, Untrusting and deeply afraid from their hill, they could see the beautiful medieval and gothic edifices of Erfurt, but they also knew what was contained among them a Stasi prison. Thousands were tortured or simply disappeared there for the crime of being enemies to the state. Trying to flee East Germany, as many did through the forest and mountains to the south, made you the worst kind of enemy. It seemed every day that the list of potential crimes grew longer. The stories of the Stasi's spy network grew wilder. The imagined screams of the victims grew louder. The employees of the orphanage so overworked already, were terrified to resist in deed or even thought, lest the children find themselves with one less helper. Their feverish round-the-clock decency, the very stubbornness of their virtue in caring for their charges, was the only rebellion against the cruelty of the state that they had. The day that a young woman visited the orphanage, though, the sun was shining, providing an early hint of spring warmth. The building looked almost rustic in the light, and it could be believed by all, for short spans, that troubles were far away. The young woman had stout hips and was dressed simply, and the administrator noticed that she had a habit of clutching at herself unconsciously, as if, when her mind drifted from the conversation, she remembered a shawl that had once kept her warm. Her skin had been damaged recently by the sun. The administrator could tell up close that her natural tone was remarkably pale. The woman called herself Katerina, No last name, no papers, and the administrator thought with very cynicism that even showing her around was a farce. She could never give a child to this woman. The bureaucracy was too convoluted, too riddled with bottlenecks and redundancies. It was a dear expense of her time, and a cruelty to the children besides. Yet here they were, strolling through the main room. Maybe it helped to play out the routine. The administrator studied Katarina's face as she surveyed the children and decided she must be a sorb from the east. That would explain her reluctance to share information. What few sorbs hadn't been purged after the uprising kept to themselves. And there was something else to her. Was it humility? Earthiness? Something gave the administrator the impression of living soil. Fertility. The convenience of the Sorb label was that it explained all this away. They bred like rabbits when they were allowed. It still did not explain why the woman would visit an orphanage, The children show the usual attitudes, some eager and hopeful, some wary and cynical, some passively striving for notice. The administrator often wondered about the routine of these visits, wondered how deeply certain attitudes were writing themselves on these children that would stay potent in their adulthood. And suddenly... The boy simply stepped into their path, stopping them. He did not say anything, just looked up at Katarina with a deep curiosity. This was the boy who had arrived five months ago, left on the doorstep on a cool October night. When they found him he was alone, but did not cry or complain, so they had decided to call him Kuno a name from an old word meaning brave. Kuno was about five, and undersized. He spent most of his time in the common room, even on the days when the weather was good. He was easily the least predictable child the administrator had ever dealt with. Some days he could be temperamental, flying into hysterics with no provocation. And then on others... He could just stare into the distance for hours, his head tilted abstractly to one side, like he was listening to something far away. He didn't avoid other children, but when they did play together, it was nearly always on his terms. He had a peculiar way of convincing them to participate in whatever activity he was pursuing. Those children with the urge to bully seemed to not notice him and even the administrator had to confess there were moments when she would see him sitting quietly and startle even though he had obviously been there for some time he had never been so direct with someone never even shown an interest when a prospective parent came through the woman, Katarina, had not said anything yet but was looking back keenly. The administrator recognized this look. When a woman sees a child and for the first time asks, Could I be a mother to you? Kuno raised his hand. Katarina took it and he led her over to a corner where he had left a small wooden horse toy. He presented it to Katarina, identified it as a horse. "'and began to explain its many uses at length. "'You could use it to plough a field,' he said, "'or go to another village to see the doctor, "'or tame the Wild West where bad men robbed banks. "'On and on he talked, "'with ever so many tangents "'and only a child's logic to order it all. "'The administrator wondered "'that he could have absorbed so much.' The orphanage had few books, and not many of them referenced horses. He had never asked her any direct questions about horses. This could only have come from listening. So there was one surprise from this Katarina's visit. She had revealed one of Kuno's hidden talents. Katarina stayed for some time, listening intently to the boy showing curiosity when it was desired. After a while, she reached out, then froze, looking to the administrator with a furtive hope for permission. The administrator nodded, and Katarina touched the boy's head, rubbing his hair for a few slow strokes. They toured the rest of the orphanage, and Katarina spoke with a few more children, but the administrator would not be worthy of her job if she couldn't recognize a connection when one happened. The mysterious boy and the mysterious woman. There were worse ideas in theory, but in practice the whole notion was all too romantic. The administrator hoped that her hunch was correct and that Katarina would never return. "'Less pain for everyone that way. "'Saturday, March 19th, 1966. "'Yet she did return, four days later. "'Once again, Katarina and Kuno found one another. "'Only this time they strolled around the grass "'surrounding the orphanage, "'not saying much to one another "'that the administrator could see.' Katarina had brought him some fruit and bread, and they shared it at a distance from the other children. This was frowned upon, but since it had been done discreetly, the administrator could play at ignorance. Katarina made no more pretense of seeing other children, and to the administrator it was past time for the hard talk. She invited Katarina into the small office, full of stamps and forms, took a deep breath, and readied herself to squash the young woman's hopes. She had brought it, the administrator thought, with helpless sourness, upon herself. She had conducted many of these conversations, and knew to begin by asking for the most innocuous personal information, along with if it were not too great an inconvenience, some papers which could substantiate it. At that, Katerina would become quiet and cast her eyes to the floor. Already the dream would be struggling for oxygen. The administrator would pause for a moment, allowing the disappointment to settle before she began the part of the conversation which explained how her hands were tied how there were rules that came from the state, and that they were wisely considered rules written with only the child's best interest in mind. Already she could taste the vinegar of those words. But she never spoke them. Instead, Katarina looked up from the floor and began to speak. When I was born... "'My mother told me that my father howled with misery. "'It was not that he did not want a child. "'In fact, he had done nothing for nine months but boast of it. "'He had prepared to love me completely. "'But he did not see me right away. First, he saw my sister, my twin, "'and she didn't take a breath and never would. "'With me coming out behind her, He had no time for grief. I was born healthy, and he says I was beautiful. But then, in the best and worst moment of his life, he saw this. She pulled off the shoulder of her dress and turned, revealing a blotch on the skin below her neck. Four dots and a fat oval between them, like a paw print. His mother had a mark like it, and for it she and he were driven from their village, away from everything they had ever known. Who knows why it was? Someone's crops froze, someone else's child had the fever. They needed to see a source of bad luck, and my grandmother was already considered different. That, plus a little blemish like this, and you can be accused of many things. My father was miserable that night, not because he did not love me immediately, but because he saw it all happening again, saw all the sadness to be passed to me. He hated his blood, and he hated himself. But I was never exiled, and the times we lived through were no more miserable for me than anyone else in my village, and much better than they were for so many others. There was a brief silence as they both had their regular reckoning with horrors from the previous decades that could not be articulated. Still, my father worried so for me, made himself older by worrying, always the mark, always with the warning. "'You are special, my angel, and for this they will hound you always.' "'He was so fiercely determined to never let me see him missing my sister, "'but I knew it was why he wanted me to swear I would never have a child of my own. "'And so I always planned, when I was old enough to exile myself, to spare him, until he died.' And then I was alone anyway, a child on the streets. It took some time for the administrator to absorb this confession. Her mind was still considering the tragic wonder of the woman before her when her mouth acted out of instinct and asked what, all due sympathies expressed, this had to do with Kuno. After all, the administrator continued, It was evident that Katarina was a woman of great compassion who would obviously love Kuno deeply, but that this, and how regrettable that they lived in such a world, was not the sum total of the administrator's job to determine. The boy needed to be provided for, and the state, which had so little confidence in its citizens to begin with, required proof that she would be able to do so. Katarina gulped, closed her eyes, and murmured some quiet prayer. When she opened them, they seemed wider than ever, and she continued with a small fierce edge on her voice. I know a man. I trust him with my life, for he has saved it once already. He has a way out, not just away from Erfurt, to the west. We have sold everything for papers, but we will have them. But you see, the papers are for a family. It is safer to pass as a family, his friends say. To me, this is a blessing. We can save a child from here. I want to save just one child and raise it in America. She seized the administrator's hand. I know I condemn myself to say this to you. I know... I endanger you, too. I am sorry, but I must plead with you, that boy. I am going to save him. I know this like I have never known anything. I can get him away from here. She took her hands away and then clutched them to herself again. And suddenly the administrator found herself thinking of one of the many paper forms in her little office. One rarely used, only once in three years, and that was a source of pride to herself and all her obstinately charitable stuff. It was the form for runaway children. A sad way to close a file when a child stole away and could not be recovered, her staff could interview surrounding families, post a few notices around Erfurt and the nearby villages, but their efforts could not extend far beyond that. After all, resources were so limited. A few nights later, it was the new moon, and with a spring storm clouding out the stars, it was dark across Thuringia. Once again Kuno stood outside the orphanage without shiver or complaint. Only this time he faced out, to the road, clutching a spare roll of clothing and the wooden horse toy. Then a real horse trudged into view pulling a small wagon, driven by a man whose face Kuno couldn't see. But he walked towards it and recognized Katarina riding in the back. Quietly, he climbed aboard and cuddled in next to her. She pulled a blanket over him and spoke so only he could hear. They called you Kuno there. It is a good name. But your name is Alex. Remember, always, when you are asked, your name is Alex. Alex. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune.